Welcome to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR. I'm Alex Gehring. And I'm Bobby Howe. So Alex, as you may know, April is Fair Housing Month. And you and I talked about this via text last week, but NAR President Charlie Opler has issued a Fair Housing Challenge for all of our NAR members nationwide. And there's three steps to it. Everything is absolutely free to access all the materials. And the first step, and I don't think we've talked about it on here, is Fairhaven, which Fairhaven is a fair housing simulation. And I've done a lot of testing and simulations from NAR. So, you know, you know, C2EX and all the other things. So I thought I had a really good idea of exactly what this was going to be. No clue. It was probably hands down the best training I have ever had from NAR. There you have to get through doing um, four closed transactions um, as a a real estate agent. Um, I think you have like 24 weeks or something to get the four closed transactions. But there's other times where it has you take a break and you're a seller trying to sell your home or you're a buyer trying to purchase a home and you get thrown into someone else's shoes. I absolutely loved it. And every time, everybody has a slightly different experience. They have different um, experiences that they get. And if you get to the very end, you get your certificate, you can actually hit the clear button and you can take it again and you'll have totally different scenarios. Have you taken it yet, Alex? I have, yeah. No, it was fantastic. And like you, there, you know, I've been, I've read a lot and been through a lot of different training on this topic. And uh, there was still one scenario in particular that uh that i don't feel like i made it i don't think i made like the worst choice on it but it was right. not the preferred response it was I, really and and it and then when it explained why i was like well duh i mean it was really good stuff um i i thought it like you i thought it was something that it helps you generate empathy for uh for the buyer or seller um, by p- taking you through their part of the process. Um, mm-hmm. It puts you in difficult situations. Um, it, it coaches you through what to do when you feel like the other side is mm-hmm. being unethical. Um, and and it's, it's just really good training. It's really yeah. good training. And for me, what it all boiled down to was remember who you're advocating for. Yep. And, and I, it, was, it was so good. It was so yeah. good. I thought it was excellent training. I agree, Bobby. Well, I too had one scenario and it actually was the very first scenario that came up that I made the wrong decision. And it was one of those where to me, based on the information they had given us was it was still a gray area, whether the seller had rejected the buyer's contract because of their race or not. Like it just wasn't real clear. Mm -hmm. And one of your options was tell the buyer that you think this happened because of their race. And I was like, I was ready to choose something like have a talk with the listing agent, but I wasn't ready to make that jump to that. And that was the wrong choice. It was one of those where we should have been upfront. We should have had a conversation. How do you feel about this? And I was like, well, yeah, it wasn't about me. It was about what I perceived may have happened. And did my buyer feel that way also and let them make the choice? How do they want you to perform? Exactly. That's that's the deal. That the one for me, uh, that for me was a misstep. I was presented with, um, a buyer who did not speak English. Yes. And, um, and I you want to refer them off and not by not bringing an interpreter. That's right. Yeah. So my, my, Very my normal. gut was there's no way that I can provide this person with the service that, that they deserve because right. the, the, it, it's, it's, 
too difficult. Like my, I'm not able to communicate. That's not fair to them. Um, right. And so, uh, so yeah, my. But it's about how they want to be treated. Do they want to work right. with you? And now you have to go find the interpreter, which is fair within their rights. Right. Or, or they can find an interpreter. It doesn't well, have yeah. to be me that finds the interpreter. They can find an interpreter. And then what, what was made worse was that, and it was, it was so true. It was like the next thought in my head. So it was like, I need to refer them to somebody. And then the, the next question from the buyer was, well, do you know any agents that speak, you know, whatever the language was, I don't remember. Yeah. And I'm like, no. Right. <laughs> so it only made everything worse. And, right. and that whole time I'm thinking, well, duh, like this, that makes a lot of sense. Right. Um, so anyway, I thought, I thought, like you say, I thought it was excellent training. What are yeah. the other two things that you have to do in order to uh, do your, you know, to have your mission? The fair housing challenge, to complete the yeah. fair housing challenge. There's a form you complete on NAR's website. And the second part is an implicit bias training. Um, it's called Bias Override. It's 53 minutes long and it was put together by the Perception Institute. And there's two females, um, the director and an associate director, I'm not sure, um, amazing walkthrough of just how our brains and how unconsciously sometimes we are doing things and we're not even aware we're doing. And they talk a little bit about the Newsday and the Long Island, you know, and the, the simulation that happened and that two people, exact same money, exact same lending, all of those things were sent in to work with realtors and the realtors responded to the people in two different ways. Um, and it was just really interesting to see the implicit bias show up. And even one of the little examples they showed in it and the next, the third step to the fair housing, it's a happy to angry scale. And there's four white faces and then there's four black faces. And it's the smile changes just a little bit each time, but the smile, the, the, the mouth on each one is exactly the same white and black. It's just the only difference is one has black skin, one has white skin. And Typically, the white face is seen to start smiling by the second or the third one, and the black face is not seen to be smiling until the fourth one. And it talks about our implicit bias that sometimes we see um, someone of color and we automatically assume that they're mad or they're angry. When we saw a white person with their mouth in the exact same spot, we would think that they were content. And so it just it went through some training about that. It was a 53-minute long video, like I said, and it was I thought it was really, really good training. There's some musical interludes. They like, they do like every couple of minutes, they do a new section and there's a musical interlude to the new section. So they could have moved the video along slightly quick, more quickly, but, and then the third part, and I'm going to issue a pro tip is that the, it's the at home with diversity training, the course. Um, it's been offered through NAR for many, many years, but Right now, NAR is offering it for free. On March 1st, they actually did it live with Matt DeFanis, who was the chair of Pro Standards that made the Code of Ethics changes last year. Um, he's out of Champaign, Illinois. And then the other presenter was Robert Morris, um, and he is out of uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And they did this. It was a free March 1st, free for everybody, and now you can just watch the recording of it. But it's a seven-hour training. Ooh, that's a lot of video. However... Pro tip, if your brain speaks quickly, like my brain does, they have a speed button. I watched it at two times speed. I don't think everybody can probably watch it at two times speed, but I feel like you could probably watch it at one and a half times speed, which makes that seven hours. 
down to about five and a half hours. If you cut out the lunch and the breaks, if you just skip forward, because it's, it's just a blank screen, probably get it down to about five hours. Um, but I did watch it at two and a half times speed. There is an audio transcript next to it. So you can kind of follow along if you're reading and listening at the same time. Again, some of the best training I've ever seen NAR put forward. Matt's stories, Robert's stories brought me to tears several times um, with the experiences that for Robert, it was his own personal experiences. He's a person of color and Matt is as white as they come, but he has a Filipino immigrant wife. And so he even told some of the stories that uh, of her experiences that she's had. They had Joanne Poole, who's very involved with the NAR. They told a story. Um, she is a woman of color and she was showing a house to a white couple and um, the sellers were home and the sellers told her she wasn't allowed to come in the home. That if her buyers want to see the house, they could come in, but she had to stand on the porch. The buyers ultimately ended up not wanting to look at the house because they wanted, you know, her to be a part of it, but her buyers possibly missed out on a house that was the best choice for them simply because of the color of Joanne's skin and a seller not allowing in their house. And she said, this has happened multiple times throughout her career. Happens more times. And I, stories like that bring me to tears because quite frankly, Alex, that's not something you or I are ever going to experience. Right. It's true. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. And one, one thing that's important to mention too, is that KCRIR actually has an at-home with diversity training coming up. Is it going to happen before or after this podcast? That's a great, excellent question that we don't really know that we'll put in our description. If you could still attend it, we'll put a link to register for it. Is Nate doing it for KCRIR? Oh, I love Nate Johnson. I don't know if Nate's the instructor or not, but I, I would pay a lot of good money to see Nate teach class because Nate is really, really good at this. I feel I like Nate is be, teaching it. I, I think like he's right. doing it. Yeah. I think he's doing it. You know what? I think we need to get Nate on the podcast. I think Nate would be an excellent podcast guest. That'd be pretty cool. So smart. I don't even know him very well, but it seems like that'd be cool. And we could basically have, all I know about is Club Nate. That's the only thing I know. All right. All right. So Alex, we're slowly and or quickly running out of time before our guests get here. Uh, we probably need to talk about what we're talking about today. And shocking, I have a book bit. Oh, wow. Well, I know, we've already right? talked a little bit about what we're talking about today. Well, we talked at this Fair Housing Month, but we haven't talked about what we're doing. So like we've done the last couple of years, we always do a, an April episode where we bring in the chair and vice chair of the diversity committee. So this year is absolutely no different. We are bringing in our chair, Ernest Hawkins, and vice chair, Dante Littlejohn. And we're going to be talking about our experiences taking the Dividing Lines audio tour. Alex, tell us about the Dividing Lines audio tour, because I'm, I'm still a little angry you got to do it with Ernest. <laughs> well, so I've actually, I've been on it probably at this point seven or eight times. So I actually take new agents on this tour um, and I started doing that back in July. Um, and then I took my whole team on the tour and various yeah. other people on the tour as well. So I think that it's important training, not just um, so that you understand really the impact of, of redlining and blockbusting and the long lasting impact that it can have, um, but also just so that you understand the history of Kansas City. Um, and it is a fantastic tour, very educational. You, mm -hmm. you learn a ton going through it. No matter how long you've lived here, uh, you're gonna learn something new. Um, and so uh, for me, it is, uh, I, I, I went on the tour back in July. It was my first time. Um, and, uh, like as in last July, um, obviously, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was ex 
extremely moving for me. Um, right. And there are all of these things that you, and we'll talk more about it when, when they come on, but there are all these things that you learn about when you're going through your pre-license course um, and uh, that, that surround fair housing. And you can understand a textbook definition of it and not understand how those things were put in practice, how predatory um, some people were, and how really it was the federal government that incented people to perform that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the that's what's really drives all of this home um, is is all of that. So anyway, I'm yeah. I'm kind of rambling about it, but for me it was yeah. a it's a it was a it was a very educational piece for me um, early on, and I feel like it. If if you're selling real estate in Kansas City proper, um, I feel like it almost ought to be mandatory training. It, it's so impactful. Um, so for those of you that do not know or don't know what we're talking about right now, because we're going to want you to go take this, it's absolutely free to do. Um, you need to download an app onto your phone. It's called Voice Maps. Voice, V-O-I-C-E-M-A-P-S, Voice Maps. And then it, there's a whole bunch of audio tours all across the country in different cities, but it's going to GPS you and know that Kansas City is nearby. And I think there's like four or five for Kansas City, but this is actually called Dividing Lines. It actually is put on by the Johnson County Public Library. And it takes you on a tour all over Kansas City. They start at Shawnee Mission East High School with a 2017 graduate that tells about her experiences having a very white privileged experience and then it takes you through mission hills across truce down paseo and even further and it walks you through the way racist real estate practices affected the people living in the city they still have a lasting impact today you know you start at shawnee mission east and you have a a graduate and then we get over to Central Academy of Excellence, I think is its official name now, but basically Central High School. And they have a, a graduate of that school, I believe his name was David. And his story is such a stark contrast to the story of the graduate from the Shawnee Mission East that it, it broke my heart listening to his story. And I'm sure we'll get into that when we get there. Um, but yeah, and it was, it was my first time taking the tour because I remembered you talking about it last year. I remember that parts of that was started or based off the book. Some of my best friends are black by Tanner Colby, which I read and we did a book bit about, but it's still, there were so many eye opening things in it um, that we'll get into with our guest. It's really an, an incredible medium. Um, and yep. actually a couple of other Kansas city tours have, have come up um, mm-hmm. it, uh, on, on voice map now, which is kind yes. of exciting. What's, what's, well, I guess we can talk more about the format when they come on because Bobby's yep. got her book in her hand and you know, I see, I see what it is. You got a book bit. Do, 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 Bobby's book bit. Casey. And I believe I first started talking about, I was starting to read this book whenever you first went on the Dividing Lines tour. I, I really think it did. And I, I finally finished the book. It is A People's History of the United States by Mr. Howard Zen. Have you not actually done this one before? No. Really? I went back and I checked. So Amber can go check my chart, but I checked my chart and it did not show up on my chart as having done this, which I was surprised, but it was perfect for this podcast. How hopefully I have not done it yet, but I'm fairly certain I did not. So anyways, so the, the book tells the, so I'm actually just going to read it right off the back because actually I think the book off the back of it tells it better than I can. Um, the people's history of the United States is the only volume to tell America's story from the point of view 
And in the words of America's women, factory workers, African-Americans, Native Americans, the working poor and immigrant laborers. And essentially it's the, it's the history of the United States as told through the point of view of the oppressed. Um, my favorite quote from the book is, the memory of oppressed people is one thing that cannot be taken away. And for such people and with such memories, revolt is always an inch below the surface. Um, now I will say this book, there is, there's a time when it comes off one side and everybody's like, oh, you're just telling one side of the story. However, I do think there are things to be taken away from this book that we need to open our ears and listen. Um, I was having a conversation with a friend recently and I said, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know until I started trying to educate myself. And as a person who comes from a point of white privilege, I'm uncomfortable at times listening and hearing these stories and that's exactly how it should be. We need to be uncomfortable hearing these stories. If I'm comfortable hearing these stories, I'm not actually hearing the story and understanding what's behind it. Um, so there's three points to the book. Shocking, I'm following a format. Who knew that? The very first lesson in the book was that the founding fathers set up the US government to benefit wealthy landowners who still have power today. Um, one of the biggest fears that early settlers had was that the slaves and lower white class people would join together and attempt to overthrow rich white property owners. And because at that time, you know, one of the things we don't talk about, about half the people who were coming to America were white servants. So that's the real reason there was a law passed making it illegal for white and black people from speaking because rich white people were afraid they were going to be overthrown by the poor. Um, and this is why most of the U.S. Constitution focuses on protecting those who owns land, but mentions nothing about women, slaves, servants, or those without property. Laws like needing to own property with at least 5,000 pounds ensured that the power stayed with wealthier Americans. The second lesson from the book, the Civil War wasn't as much about ending slavery as it was about advancing political interest. We'd like to think of the Civil War as a heroic plight of altruistic North freeing the slaves, but in reality, things may be a little less valiant. Yes, Lincoln waged the war that ended slavery, he wanted to do so so that he could do everything to keep the union financially healthy. Remember the Emancipation Proclamation? It was really said so that those who are opposed to the union could not have slaves. This was only to strategically get slaves to leave their plantations, forcing the South to surrender. It was about North versus the South. It wasn't really about doing the right thing at the core. And then the third lesson is that the U.S. has repeatedly used war as a way to improve our economic situation. Economic gains were the primary reason for the U.S. entering World War II. Just two weeks before Pearl Harbor, the White House, White House held a meeting trying to justify starting a war with Japan. They knew the U.S. economy would benefit from the war and open up foreign markets. Oil in the Middle East is just one example. General Motors President Charles Wilson suggested we have a permanent war economy, and that's exactly what happened. After the war, military budgets remained at those high levels and were justified by threats of everything from communism to Vietnam. There's one thing we're told in our history books. There's another thing that happens behind the scenes. One of the, my husband's favorite quotes that he likes to use is that history is told by the victors. You always, you don't necessarily hear history as told by the victims or the oppressed. And it's one of the things that I really like about this book is because you hear the other side, not just what's been in your history books all, all along.
And that's my book bit. All right, let's bring in our guests. Let's do it. Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk brought to you by KCRER. We are here with Ernest Hawkins, Chair, and Dante Littlejohn, Vice Chair of KCRER's Diversity Committee. Welcome, gentlemen. It is our honor and pleasure to have you here with us today. Um, why don't you tell us both just a little bit about you, um, how you got into real estate, what you did before real estate, if there's anything else you do, because I think you both have some really interesting, Ernest was telling us really good stories before we started. So go ahead and give us some history. Um, well, me, myself, um, I've, I've been in real estate now for about almost six, it's almost six years now. Um, I got into real estate, well, I spent a number of years after I got back from Iraq um, applying for jobs and finding myself so thoroughly overqualified that it made me. Um, even dumbing down my resume, I still was unhirable. And um, in the last position I applied for, um, I'm sitting across from the HR manager and the IT manager I'd be going to work for. And um, I'm negotiating my salary as I should. And he basically looks at me and goes, oh, well, Mr. Hawkins, this is what you're worth. And if you know me, I really don't have a filter, and it's really kind of hard to control it when, when it does work. <laughs> so um, I basically, you know, I just, I, yeah, I walked out of that interview. I'll, I'll, be, I'll just cut it short. I walked out of the interview. And of course, they called me for three months trying to get me to come back. But at, really at that point, I went home, I'm watching HDTV, and I'm watching some horrible agent going, oh, this is a big room. <laughs> and and I, was like, I was like, what does it take to be a real estate agent? And I went online, got the test. A week later, I actually had my real estate license. And then I, next month, I had my Missouri license. And, um, and I started shopping around for some place to go to work. So, and I've been doing it since then. You took control of your own destiny. That was the deal. Well, you know, and that's that's me. I'm, I'm I've always been that person to take control of my own destiny. I do not um, let fate just kind of um, dictate because fate has no mercy. So you know, you learn when if you've been in combat, you learn that you take control because fate will not have does not care about you. <laughs> Dante, tell us about you. Well. I am the broker owner of Blackstone Realty. I've, this will be my 10th year in real estate. Crazy enough to think that. Um, I started out with, I, I grew up in a family of real estate agents. So I actually had vowed to never get a license. It was the furthest thing from my mind. Um, I went to school to originally be a lawyer and got, um, there was a program at Young KC that allowed you to go through and do your undergrad while you were taking classes at the law school. And there was the very first class, we had to go pick up this big foul box. Each, each person got one and it was um, cases that you had to read. I was like, wait, lawyers don't read. <laughs> That's what, don't they have legal assistance and things like that? I was like, I'm supposed to just look good in the suit and show up to court and drive nice cars, right? Um, so I ended up dropping, I was like, I don't wanna be an attorney and turn around and started working um, with guys who did We Buy Ugly Houses. I mm. uh, was like, okay, I don't want to be a real estate agent, but I don't necessarily think I'm the employed kind of person. Like, I, I can't be locked up in a place. <laughs> so how about this? I'll go out and find you guys' houses you just paid me. And they're like, okay, great. And I started making money doing that. And then slowly turned into, well, have you ever considered getting your real estate license? And I went and got it and I've been here ever since. Never, I only did it 
was a licensed agent for, I believe, six years before I even went and worked with the family brokerage. And even then, I didn't stay long. I was like, yeah, I love you guys. I got to go. Um, <laughs> so I've been in, this will make my 10th year. I also work in a lovely Westport as one of the supervising officers. So we handle my direct job is um, if you've ever been to Westport on a Friday, Saturday night, you've seen or you've heard all the lovely stories about what happens down here. So I am one of the supervising officers that get to enjoy all of what happens in Westport from the street closures to the rolling gun battles and everything else. <laughs> You're a busy guy. Yeah. Um, so Alex, since you and Ernest went on the drive together, and Dante and I did not even get an invite. We're in the middle of a pandemic. More than more than two people in a car. <laughs> well, you know, really, in my truck, we should have been six feet apart. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were already breaking the rules. We were driving down with, with the windows open. We were, we were. I mean, we were letting airflow come Wind in. Wind through your hair, Bobby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. We decided that maybe we ought to just do it together. I think I, I had done it before, and uh, and and we were just kind of. Uh, wanting to do it together and so we did it that way and it was I think it's a, a more enjoyable experience doing it with somebody personally because you can yeah. have some conversations about it and um, I, I thought I thought Ernest and I had a lot of good conversations about about it as we were going through um, Ernest was that the that was your first time going through it is, is that right that was my first time and you know it was enlightening on, on some points some points I was very I was aware of but it just kind of brought it brought it all together and understanding it in in a in more comprehensive manner um it was just it's just you know when you see the differences and things like that just it's just it's night and day and it's 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 kind of wow sobering really so just to kind of explain to the audience what the tour does it basically makes it feel like a scavenger hunt's not the right word it's a, it, you know how when you're going through a museum you can buy one of those guided tours and you stick a microphone in your ear and it's guiding you through each one of the you know exhibits you can tell i spend a lot of time in museums i don't <laughs> but but what's what's really cool about this is it's that in your car and so it starts yeah. at shawnee mission east it takes you through the plaza it takes you uh it takes you um, through Brookside, and then it takes you east of Troost. Um, and the, the whole time giving the history of each one of the developments, giving the history of redlining, the history of blockbusting with, within our uh, city. Um, and it's super impactful. And it, it, in my opinion, it, what we learn about in our real estate classes before we get our license it gives you some kind of a textbook definition that doesn't even remotely explain how uh, those things, how, how redlining and blockbusting were used in practice um, and what it really means and how it's still a long lasting impact that we have in our city. Um, so that, that's what the tour does. Ernest, what, are, what, what else do you have to say about it? I'll tell you from the start of it, I mean, it couldn't have been scripted better as she's talking about like the fancy cars and then a Porsche pulls into the driveway in front of us. <laughs> um, I would say that, yeah, it's just um, the, the actual seeing it as it's being explained to you, really, I think every agent should go through this. 
every agent should see this and understand how that really affects, you know, how it affects the communities and so forth, and why we don't have the growth and stuff going on on the east side that we have going on in the suburbs. Um, it's, it's just, it's not that these people need to pull themselves over those bootstraps, it's just there's nothing there for them. There's the lack of industry. The schools are just, just are you know, mismanaged at best, um, and just just a whole plethora of things that that have continued to plague that part of the city. And um, how can I put it? And the rest of the rest of the city is not really seeing it. They just see that they, they see the the end results, and they don't see why it, how it got there. You know, even for me, one of the interesting things for me was seeing the difference of the influx of the money into the KC Power and Light District versus the 18th and Vine District. And yes. as someone who's ran the Kansas City Marathon a few times, it's not very far from 18th and Vine over to Power and Light. And it's just like the, down the street almost. <laughs> yeah, and I just there were a lot of differences and especially you talked about the high schools listening to the story of the the girl graduate from shawnee mission east and then listening to the story of the boy graduate from central and yes. hearing his voice and hearing his experiences and saying you know my teachers cared about me but the school as a whole i didn't feel like i was cared about and then i went up north and a teacher gave me a tour of a school up north and i just saw something totally different and they're not that far apart. Those were the two times that I really just felt like, I mean, there were a lot of times I felt things, but those two contrasting things just really stood out in the story. Um, Dante, what are some of your impressions from doing it? Um, so for me, I grew up on 59th and Brooklyn, which is, you know, just blocks away from Pacel, blocks away from Truce. Um, and so it, it and, learning that, you know, 71 highway or 49 highway started 50 years ago was new to me. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, yeah. growing up, I mean, I'm 30, I'm, well, I'll be 32 this year. And so for me, knowing that it was complete, I believe it said in 2002, was like, it's in, in, in terms of my life, it's always been there. And so that one was a new one to me. And for me, I, we, we moved when I got into middle school. So we were one of those families that moved south and went to quote unquote, the suburbs. And I ended up going to Hickman Mills High School. And so there were a lot of things, you know, that we were told and that we were, that were perceived of schools within the Kansas City School District, the city. And so it, it really, you know, how they describe Central versus Purcell versus Lincoln was how it's always been described to us as, even as children. Um, I didn't learn about, you know, we, we always were told that, you know, Shawnee Mission East and West and Olathe, those were the more ritzier schools. I mean, it, it, I honestly never got to go see those schools and grin i grew up in a real estate family you know grandparents lived in lee summit and things like that that was his own new world as well growing up but to really get into it and you know listen to the girl from the shiny mission talk about how they had expand the parking because all the kids were driving you know nice cars or spending their summers at the you know the golf course at the country club it was like wow 
I know Mission Hills. I didn't discover Mission Hills until I got in my 20s. So it was a whole new world. I mean, we knew of the plaza and we know I knew of recent Nichols, but I had no clue that, you know, he even created Prairie Village. So it was a very eye-opening situation. I like I said, I knew about power and light, but I knew about it from because of what was said about the dress coach and not allowing people into power and light. So it just really opened up, and I didn't know they spent that much money for power and light for it to be. It's not really the the thing that they designed it to be anymore, in my opinion. So it was you know, very you you brought up 71 highway and for me i so i've done this thing a couple of different times and for me there's always a new takeaway and we were when ernest and i were uh right after the discussion about power and light you cross over 71 yes. and uh and and there was a we kind of had this aha moment where we realized you know the the government because of what the government was doing we destroyed property values for for uh people in that area that that 70 where 71 eventually ended up being and then they turned around and bought all of those properties from those people at that severely discounted rate you kick them while they're down and then it takes 50 years to put 71 highway up it was what was the number Ten thousand families were displaced by 71 highway Right, like ten thousand families with this place, and um, you know, I like for and it sat that 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 swath of land sat vacant forever. It was it was, I I vaguely remember it because I'm you know um, when I come into camp when I first came to Kansas City, um, it's just I vaguely remember it. I really didn't pay that much because I'm not originally from Kansas City, so I don't I didn't understand a lot of the dynamics of it. So, but yeah. You think of 10,000 families, this place, and what that does. And one, they didn't even get the value of their property to be able to buy another property somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, this, you, you're perpetuating the problem. What you really removed the, the wealth that they should have been generating by building equity in, in an asset that should have been worth a lot more than that. And you, you, you take that away from them, and then you force them to liquidate it. Yeah. So, so my question would be... Um, you know, where things are and knowing that is, is there possibly any recourse that they could have in retro? You know, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's a valid question, um, valid question because I mean, you know, it's, it's, everybody's benefiting from that except for the people who lost their land. Yeah. So we're kind of getting into, and I, I don't know. And I, I, you know, I, I do think there's maybe an opportunity to go look at that. We're getting into this during the tour. They called out the real estate industry and realtors specifically. They kept talking about brokers putting more money in their pockets mm-hmm. on the backs of people of color. Um, and for the part they played in the mid 20th century blockbusting by warning white homeowners of their property values, just going to go on down when all the black neighbors start moving on in. Obviously that kind of blatant racism is no longer commonplace or so we'd like to tell ourselves. Um, yes. But to what extent do you think, discriminatory steering goes on. And I do want to point out a quote that was said during this, and this was Sid, the attorney that was involved in blockbusting, then started, didn't know what it was at first, then slowly started realizing what it was, and then went into the house and saw the woman's roof leaking and was like, whoa, I don't want to be part of this, and then became a civil rights attorney. But one of the quotes he said 
is the real estate system continues to treat property values that way. And I believe that it's true. So what do you believe to be um, steering still going on today? I don't think you necessarily see it as blatant as it is, but you see it in the, in the, in the realm of, um, of appraisals. Yeah, um, I know Denise has some credible stories that you hear, you know, and it's, and it's sad that she, that she has to do some of the things that she had to do to get appraisals right for her properties over on the east side. Um, it, and I think that's where it's kind of um, shifted to, to, to mask it. Um, and that's all it is, is a masking. You know, I mean, because really, truthfully, if you cross truce and you get into, um, say, um, Hyde Park, as opposed to what's east of, east of that, those houses, there's not much difference in those houses. Matter of fact, there's no difference in those houses. So why is that widely varying pricing of that? Because, oh, it's east of truce. That makes no sense whatsoever. Now, I am seeing some differences where it's starting to shift a little bit, where that divide is actually pushing east, you know, pushing away from, from truce and further eastward, but still, it's, it's, a, it's there. And um, I, I would say that there's probably some appraisals, appraisers that are older, maybe, and still have that mentality of um, what, it used, what it was, and not saying going, okay, this is a house, this is what it has, and this is the value on it. So, I, see yeah. the, I see things are changing houses are going up in price they're finally on the east side getting closer to what you would typically see if you got to you know charlotte or rock hill not necessarily as high but they are getting close and funny enough they're getting that that number the closer they get to benton i yes. think benton boulevard boulevard is really the the new Pacel per se, where when you're looking at homes that are actually getting larger values, the closer you are to there, the, the better they're getting. Um, I think, and that's coming from the revitalization of investors being able to buy those homes for really cheap and actually putting the real work into them. Um, and I think right now we're seeing, I mean, there, there's not a, I don't have a lot of appraisal issues right now, surprisingly. Um, but there have been many a times that, you know, I didn't go to my own appraisal. You know, I had an appraiser at one point, he saw me staying on the front stoop of the house and drove by. When he, I, I called him, he's like, yeah, I didn't come get out the car because there's some big black guy standing on, on the front step. And I'm like, wearing a black sweatshirt that says UMKC on it which is where I went to college. And yeah, I said, that would be me. So I, those are things that I've dealt with and I've seen. I think we are able to call out the redlining and the blockbusting a lot easier now because we're able to speak up about it. Um, I still think that some people, some realtors, um, definitely do not go into certain areas still. I mean, I'll be honest, I've built my career off of agents giving me houses in inner city because I was black when I was with the larger companies. And, they, oh, I don't work in that area. Okay, great. But I, I feel that it's definitely, it's getting better. We still have a long ways to go, but it's, it's getting better. 
you know, to, to, to jump on that with what Dante is saying is like, you know, the offices, the office that I was previous in, um, you know, with the agency I was re- previously with, it was like, um, I would say that, hey, yeah, I'm going to go to an open house in Hyde Park or in, in Valentine. And then there would be a guest, oh, well, be careful. You know, I'm like, dude, it's, just, it's, <laughs> it's Midtown, you know. And you have a lot of agents that are scared to go there because they think what the perception that they, that they think it is, you know, not what it really is. You know, and, and, and it's really kind of a sad thing because one, they, um, they're leaving out a great swath of beautiful homes for their clients, you know, and uh, investment opportunities. Um, like, you know, I, like I have, if you know me, I have no problem going anywhere. <laughs> so, I mean, it's so it doesn't really matter um, where the house is at, if it's rural, if it's urban, wherever. But it's just, I find that really sad that we have agents that have conditioned themselves to be fearful of a certain part of the city, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. and not understanding that it doesn't, you know, like, you know, those are houses, those are an asset, those are something, it's a place where they can actually do something positive for, you know, by bringing good buyers to the neighborhood. And on top of that, I think that it's very clear that they don't really understand the history. And that's what I feel like this Dividing Lines tour does so well, um, is it helps people understand really what happened um, and, and how, 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 how all that went down. I think people don't understand it and therefore they don't really, maybe they don't have the empathy that's needed to, to understand the situation. So should this be a part of orientation for, for realtors, the Metro? I believe so. Absolutely. I think yeah, it should also be in part of, you know, colleges that are offering real estate, you know, like UMKC, they have a real estate, um, a real estate degree now. I really feel like this should be an assignment for them to understand. I think if you want to be a developer, this should <laughs> this would help you because, you know, I, I still hear realtors, you know, use the Kansas City School District has a way for them not to have to come into the area to sell. That's right. Yes. yes. And that's, so that's, that's their way of, you know, of redlining. That's their way of, oh, well, you, you know, you really want to focus on having a good school district. And you, you, it's coded language. Kansas, yeah, it's coded in order for them to, you know, get people not to come down here. When there's plenty, I mean, if you can get your child into Lincoln, congratulations, that's great. There's also charter schools. And I think that's one thing like the tour could go on for a lot longer than it did when you really want to break down. I mean, they could just do a tour over the school districts alone. Yes. And it, it would give you such a great history on Kansas City because I was, you know, a part of growing up where, okay, we moved south, where as you know, you have Southeast, you have Purcell, you have Lincoln, you have Northeast. And each one of those schools, you know, like they were talking about, was developed for a different reason. Lincoln was your preparatory. Mm-hmm. Purcell was your performing arts. If you were going to be a football player or a track runner, you typically want to go to Central. You know, they were good for athletics, but that's how that was their nice way of talking about the different schools. Um, but it really, I think, just the tour alone could have been could have one just for schools, for sure. Yeah. I- now- you said something about UMKC right now, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, we've, as, as an association, KCRIR has the Realtor Leadership Academy that's, you know, put, put on through UMKC. 
we've got a a perfect case study of what is arguably the most important thing that we can focus on as an industry right now, right in Kansas City. And it isn't something that's ever even remotely mentioned in that curriculum. Anyway, it wasn't when I went through it. And I mean, so that's, I, I totally, I think that's, that's one place where we could start is educating our own members uh, through that medium about, about this. I mean, that's, I, I oh, think that leaders. that'd be good. What's that? As our own leaders. That's right. Yes, our members, but especially our leaders. I hear too often from people, I've never seen that happen. Therefore, it doesn't exist. And what I was, Alex, you and I were talking before is that it's too easy to say, I just didn't know. Yes. That's right. But I didn't know what I didn't know until I put myself in an uncomfortable place and started educating myself. And since then, my eyes have been opened and I can no longer go back to the human being that I was. And I think we all have a duty and an obligation to go educate ourselves. You know, over sure. the last, you know, a few years ago, I read A Color of Law and I was talking about A Color of Law way before, you know, all of a sudden last year, that's become- Before it was year. cool. <laughs> yeah, before it was cool. I was talking about it because I was at a meeting with Nate Johnson. We were doing the 50th anniversary of the Fair Housing Act. Nate had an amazing panel and he said, by the way, you need to read this book. And so I ordered it and I read it doesn't make me any better than anybody else, but I knew that started opening my eyes. Then you read Some of My Best Friends Are Black by Tanner Colby, which is some of the tour was based on. Then yes. read um, The Color of Money. Color of Money was really eye-opening about banking and um, racial inequality due to the banking system and lending system in this country. Simple things like reading books and having conversations with people that do not look like me have opened my eyes. And I think we all have to do that. And I think I'm going to have a conversation with Kip later today about why don't why isn't this a part of the leadership academy? I think that's good. I, here's here's the deal. Like I, I just said something about talking about school districts being coded language. The reality is that people aren't there. There are a lot of people that aren't doing that intentionally. They're not intentionally using coded language. They don't know the history right. yeah. and they don't understand what they're saying when they say something like that. And even hearing that, if you're somebody that says that regularly, they're, they're thinking, I'm just talking about the school district. I'm just talking about what I know about that school district. You don't know what you Let's don't know. Let's call it implicit bias. Um, during the At Home with Diversity, the webinar, I was just talking about with Matt DeFanis and Robert Morris. Matt talked about some people going through this training, and there was an appraiser who raised his hand and said, I don't understand why I have to be here. I don't help people buy and sell homes, so therefore I cannot be discriminating against anyone. And so the instructor mm -hmm. said to, to the gentleman who said, well, yes, because obviously there's not a price difference or value of homes between families that are white and families of color. And the appraiser said, well, no, families of color, their house isn't worth as much as white families. And the instructor thought, man, maybe you probably didn't really say what you just thought you said. And so he repeated it again. The gentleman said it again. The people of color's homes were not worth as much as white people's homes. And it was like, that's the exact reason you're sitting in this training today. Your implicit bias, probably not even understanding, maybe understanding the words. God, I hope he'd understand the words coming out of his mouth. But just saying it like, well, yeah, it's just common knowledge. You know, that's an implicit bias that so many times our brains doing things we're not even conscious of them doing. And again, the question is, if, if the thing is, well, it's just looking at data, the question is, data how did that data become what it is? Yeah, how is that a part of the data? What, who, who did yeah. that? Exactly. Well, data has no color. That's right. So, yeah. 
I'll say this, you know, I, I lived in Midtown forever when I lived, when I first came to Kansas City. You know, um, I lived a couple places. I lived on East Armour. I lived at um, 41st and Oak, the cute, the cute little house on the, um, on, the, on the north side there. I lived in that cute little house at the corner of 41st and Oak. And I lived in this um, couple, on the Sunbart and, um, on East Armour. But, you know, um, when, my child, when my son was born, we would start looking at school districts. And it wasn't, it, we were really was thinking of private school for my son. And not for any reason of the school district. It was just that we wanted we wanted um, a, you know private education. We thought about that. Now Pembroke did offer us a scholarship, but the caveat is that that's only for a year. <laughs> so, <laughs> and we were like, uh, yeah. You know, we looked at the price tag after that. We like started looking at suburbs for schools and diverse areas. And we looked throughout Kansas City and um, throughout the metro. And we ended up in Shawnee, but, you know, and I'll tell you a funny story. The only reason we ended up in Shawnee was we were at IHOP on the Shawnee Mission Parkway. And I swear it was truly the International House of Pancake. Um, the um, waiter was Palestinian, um, Malaysian um, girl working here at the time, Jewish girl. And then a um, couple of the people were um, Hispanic. And we're like, this is IHOP. <laughs> so, so we're like, this is, so we start looking for houses around here. And that's where we, that's how we ended up in Shawnee. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and it's, and it's always had that level of diversity that, that I was used to as a military brat. You know, my friends come from, if you look at my friends list, I have, I have friends literally all over the world, mm -hmm. you know, and not, not just people that, that I say, Hey, yeah, I know that, you know, I met them. No, I actually know them. We like had, you know, spent lots of time together, you know, and, um, so that's always been my world, and I wanted my son to kind of have that experience here, you know, because, yeah. yeah. But um, that was my reasoning for making that move. I still love Midtown. I have a lot of fun there. You know, I, you know, I love the houses there. Matter of fact, one of my first apartments in Kansas City was at 38th in Pennsylvania, the Jarbo family house. When it was uh, when it was split up in apartments, you know, and I, and I lived in like the I had I picked the apartment that had the seven foot claw foot claw tub for for various for, for one reason only I could actually get in it and take a bath, you know, but it was a you know great place to live. You know, our city has so much potential. I think a lot of things that are happening with our city, and the the things that are happening that create the redlining and so forth. I think as realtors, we need to take an active role in becoming more more involved with some of the city planning. Say, hey, you know, I think we we talked about that, Alex. Where I was saying, like, hey, we need to go to city to the city leaders, the mayors, maybe have them have a mayor summon and say, hey, what do we need to do? Or how can we get involved? And what do you need to do to get us on board here so we can start talking to some of the industry leaders that are thinking about moving and seeing if we can get them to come to Kansas City? Because we have a workforce and we have land and we have all kinds of stuff that would benefit um, your probably your business, um, especially on the east side. I mean, you know, there's lots of stuff there. I mean, and there's a workforce there that's dying for something to do. Why not give it to them? I think you know, being able to bring that in to the east side, one would um, would would mitigate or even kill some of the stuff that's that's been created by redlining. Um, but see, the thing is, it's a multi-pronged um, um, approach to this. You can't just have like education. You just can't have um, economics. You just can't have um, people at socially active. It has to be all of those together to make it all work.
because one 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 avenue is just one avenue and it's narrow it's narrow in scope so, so you really you let us into my next question that i had towards the end of the tour they give a quote from tanner colby who um was in kansas city in 2017 he wrote some of my best friends are black and his quote was the imaginary barriers are only there because we say they are there and we can take them down whenever we choose to. Yep. In addition to what you said, what are some other ways that we as realtors can start to undo some of the damage that was done by our predecessors? I really believe that realtors need real education about the city of which you're going to go be a realtor in. Right now, everyone is watching HGTV, they're watching Instagram, they're watching Facebook, and they believe that what we do is very easy and we can make a lot of money. They don't understand that this is an ongoing educational job, career that changes day to day, minute by minute, year to year. And a lot of people and, and, and a lot of our brokerages are at fault for it as well because there's they educate you. They tell you, oh, you're a CEO of your own business. Go run, go sell, and you're good to go. And make sure you pay your dues. But they don't explain to you about how to be educated on the areas which you work. They don't educate you on okay, about, you know, when you self, you know, land, we probably need to have some soil studies done. There's no real education to become a realtor anymore. It's we go to career educations, we get our license, we pass our tests, and then we just throw people out there. And every two years we come in. And I know I'm guilty of it. I take the same CE classes every two years because I know exactly what it's going to be. And I can sit in there and be left alone and get it done and keep it moving. And I, I feel like there needs to be some field trips or something in there yeah. um, to really get people to understand. Because I know agents who are licensed in both states, but they're in Overland Park and they won't dare cross the state line. I know some agents who won't come out of the Lee Summit, Raytown, Raymore, Belton little circle right there mm -hmm. because they don't want to go into other areas because they're not familiar with them. So like we really need to enhance the education. We, can, we, we talk about education a lot as realtors. We go out and we go do the rock the block, but do we really understand what it means to go out and help people? You know, we all pay our little our, our little money to go out and we get our T-shirt and we get our hat and we all throw it on Facebook. But do we really mean what we're doing? We give ourselves the pat on the back and we say, yeah, we went out and painted a house. But did we really help? Them? Are we coming back and helping them even more than just one day a year? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Alex, do you want to ask my final question for me? Sure. Go right ahead. This is a question I always ask. So. Ernest and Dante, yes. is there anything that we haven't asked you guys that we should have asked you guys? Hmm. How deep can we take this? <laughs> it's already a deep question, man. How, how meta can we get? Yeah. You know? it's, it's the what else question. What else should we have talked about that we haven't talked about today? And it can be about anything. Um, I mean, you know, really, I think we've, we've covered quite a bit, but you know, this subject is so broad and um, and so under talked about. I, I think. I mean, here's the thing. In my honest opinion, this conversation needs to be happening more than once a year. Whenever we do it, because it's Fair Housing Month. I I think it's that, an ongoing you know, conversation. Um, it, it, it really is. Uh, and I'm going to give a little plug here for everybody. In case for those of you that are Apple users or iPhone users, the Clubhouse app 
We do have a race and real estate group that meets every Monday night at 7.30 p.m. It usually goes for about two hours and it's realtors all across the country sharing their experiences, sharing their stories. And that's been one of the most valuable things to me is just shutting up and listening and hearing other people's stories. So little plug for everybody because this isn't just a once a year conversation and it frustrates the out of me that sometimes it is. The more that you know that happens outside of your bubble, the better off you're going to be and the more well-rounded of an agent you're going to be, the more empathy you're going to have for other people's experiences. And that's, that's it's a what, better human. It's not about being a better realtor. It's about being a better human. That's right. I, I would say this. The one thing that just came to mind to me is one, the diversity within KCRR itself. Mm -hmm. um, we've, we've discussed that before and Dante and I, I think we're on the same page with that um, where we feel that there's not a um, committee within KCRR or board that should not, that diversity should not have a hand in. Okay. Um, I think that we were leaving a, a lot of realtors behind. I know last year with um, Tanisha, we had a conversation about opening up a, a um, satellite office on the east side mm -hmm. or somewhere in, in, within the city that where, that where people can feel comfortable coming. I think that we're with that. Um, because we don't have that input from those agents as well, that it kind of helps perpetuate this problem as well. Yeah, because they're they not because they're not necessarily a part. They're part of our system, but they're kind of on the outskirts and scared to have their voices heard, and that kind of sucks. Because well, you know, because I mean, I, I'm like you know, I don't. You're going to hear me. I don't care. Um, but there's some people who are a little more timid than I am. And they will not speak up unless it becomes a real problem. I mean, a problem that they've been rejected time and time again. And I don't want my yes. own organization to reject me yet again. And yeah. when we can't see for our own site, when we're inviting you, no offense, Kip and KCRAR, but when we're inviting you to our palace, that's literally on a golf course. It's a part of the history of the divided lines. When we go look at it, we yes. have to expect some of our members are not going to be comfortable in that environment. And we need to go to our members, not expect our members to come to us. Yeah, right. I mean, there are a lot of smaller brokerage brokers mm -hmm. that you never hear or see from because they don't believe that their voice matters. And so they, they pay their dues because they have to. They take their CE classes because they're free and they, that was a part of you know, their dues. And they just keep it moving. They don't come in and really get involved because they don't feel like there's a place for them to get involved. I mean, you have um, NARAP, but it, it's it's not at the, the level of which you would want it to be for, you know, it being another extension of, you know, KCRR for our, our Black brokers. Yeah. And so I feel like there's really there needs to be something and i mean we can't make everyone happy and i know that that's the deal but we can at least try to make them feel comfortable enough to come in and have a valid input on something i mean do we there's really no outreach to that at all from what i can see so you know even if we even did rather even not just having a satellite office but just some outreach you know so i mean direct outreach not just you know i'm talking about grassroots actually going knocking on their door and talking with them having sure the problems. representation is actually had right yeah. we, on the board that's the deal. we had that conversation last year when we talked yes. about it and KCIR let's try not said, to have that conversation next year and we'll see if we can <laughs> no 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 but, but what i'm saying something. is no 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 there was holes in the conversation that's my point that i'm trying to make is that the conversation we had last year was 
We will often go speak to large, as KCRAR reaching out to our members, asking them to get involved. We will go speak to large brokerages because we mm -hmm. can get a lot of members at one time. That yeah. inherently means that we are missing a significant portion of our population, the small brokerages. Why are we not taking a time and bringing several small brokerages together at one time so you have the same amount of people that you would if you went and saw a large brokerage? And one of the conversations that we had last year was when I had a member reach out to me and tell me the story of when she was licensed in 1997 at the big brokerage on the plaza, she was told she could not sell east of this or, or you know, west of this direction and, and south of here. You, you are to sell in this area right here. And she eventually realized this large brokerage is not for me. And she went and started her own brokerage. I've heard multiple <coughs> stories of people of color who did not feel welcome in the large brokerages, started their own brokerages. And so now we all with these small brokerages, but they're not being reached because they're not the big brokerage and it's not easy to go to them. It's not about the ease for us. Mm -hmm. It's about providing service to our members and reaching all members. If we're going to preach that... Yeah we're reaching all of our members, then we have to take the effort. It might be a little more difficult for us. Big boo-hoo, go do it. Okay, we're Alex, way over time, guys. I'm sorry. Um, one of the things that we that Alex and I talked about as well, Alex, I know I'm going to be fast. I'll talk like an auctioneer, okay? One of the things that we talked about is uh, an advisory committee with all the committee, um, all the committee chairs. Um, I think that that would uh, foster some cooperation and a lot of the stuff we're talking about, we can make happen. I want to make this happen. I don't want to just talk about it because talk is cheap, you know, and I don't, I don't have, and, you know, anybody can talk, but action speaks louder. Okay. Well, that so way we, actually, we know we're on the same page. We know that right. we can help accomplish a common goal. I mean, that's the deal. I think we're so disconnected from what the diversity committee is, is talking about and what it is that they're trying to implement. I, I, I couldn't, I, with, in, other than the fact that I talked to you for a long time last uh, Friday, Ernest, I wouldn't honestly have any idea what was going on in there. Okay, well, we're going to change that. We're going to, we, like, That's I think right. well, we, need, we need to have liaisons between all the committees That's and make sure that we're working together because we are one. We're KCRR. We're not KCR diversity. We're not KCR advocacy. We're all one and we're all should be working together. Great. So, uh, thank you so much, Ernest and Dante. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. I want to continue to hear your stories as we go forward and let's make this more than just a once a year conversation. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thank you.